0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Okie
1: dokie, and uh, Mr. Roberts here to say hello, welcome. It is Wednesday, 28th day of June, in case you hadn't kept track so far, and welcome to the midweek edition of Lifeline. We're here throughout the week addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Lots to talk about. On today's program, including a battle royale that is being queued up between um, many pro-life states, <laughs> clearly doesn't include California, um, and the Department of Health and Human Services. They're beginning to um, get engaged in a bit of more than just a war of words over Title 10 grants. Um the feds, of course, want the money used for abortion-type services. Some states say, no, yeah, we're, we're not going to do that. And, of course, there has been um, a um, sort of reaffirmation of a Title X restriction being used for abortion that has been re-upped by every Congress going back to the 70s. And yet the Department of Health and Human Services is kind of trying to force the issue. And that is queuing up a battle royale. We'll get you details coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program. But I first want to start with an important issue. And it's a, it's a premise that I think a lot of us can learn much from. The notion that as we go through life, we oftentimes tend to lean very heavily On our feelings, oftentimes on preconceived notions and ideas that may be born out of our family of origin, our belief system, uh, most often influence of people around us. You know, those voices that either speak truth and encouragement to you or speak lies and defeat Certainly the enemy of our soul is the master at all of that. But I think it's frequently true that we confuse what feels true with what is true. And while you might think I'm queuing up for a discussion regarding politics... (laughs) To the contrary, I want to spend some time with my first guest talking about the broader impact of, of how this affects the way we see ourselves, and as a result, the way we function, the way we integrate our lives and the lives of others, even impacting our relationships, not only on the horizontal plane, but on the vertical plane as well. If you are someone that oftentimes, as a kid, for example, growing up, was told negative thoughts, you're stupid. You're useless. You're lazy. Oftentimes that can become a self-fulfilling prophecy when you begin to believe what essentially are lies of the enemy. Insights now from Dawn Damon, best-selling author. She's working on another new book, and at least you think that since she's retired from full-time pastoral ministry. She's allowing the uh, proverbial grass to grow beneath her feet. Oh, no. In fact, she's now uh, busy queuing up for the next chapter of her life. And do I dare say this publicly? I don't want to get in trouble here, but a little birdie, a little birdie whispered in my ear, Pastor Damon, that uh, you are a, a newly minted great grandmother. Tell me it isn't so.
2: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You could not have picked a better topic
1: for me to talk about. (laughs) My great-granddaughter. Oh, my goodness. Now, if if this were television, I'd say, let's go to the slide. (laughs) Oh, my... Yes.
2: Well, thank you, because... You know, we're it's a new generation. It's a, and you know this is not your grandmother's women's ministry hour because women today, we're movers, we're shakers, we're reinventing midlife. But I, we now have five generations of girls. We all have the middle name Louise, and so it's just a, an incredible thing. My mom, my myself, my daughter, my granddaughter, and now my great granddaughter. Oh, that's
1: fantastic, <laughs> and and so that that's going to kind of carry that 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 naming uh, lineage down through the generations. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations. And and we're going to expect Thank lots you. of photographs. <laughs> that said, <laughs> let's pivot to it. this important topic is, is as you as you talk about being a a hardworking, on fire, plugged in, engaged, modern day woman, mm-hmm. as it even relates to being a, a great grandmother. Now, uh, th- that that broader issue of women today and the way in in which roles have changed, certainly pretty drastic. But the one thing that sadly hasn't changed, and that is the enemy of our soul loves to get into our ear and whisper lies. And whether he does it to yeah. try to defeat us or discourage us or to try to drive a wedge between ourselves and our our horizontal relationships, meaning with, with spouse, family, etc., or uh, even more so on the vertical plane with our God, the enemy loves to whisper lies into our ears. Mm-hmm. And sadly, more often than not, I guess we just kind of hear it so often we begin to Believe that lie must be true and then become almost uh, in a sense of self-fulfilling prophecy. If you spent 20 years telling your kid he's lazy and and good for nothing, don't be shocked when one day you stand back and say, well, that guy's become a lazy good for nothing. I wonder how that happened.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Words are labels, uh but they're also seeds. And when those seeds get planted, we should not be surprised when at some point we start to see they've taken root, they have grown up and now they're blooming. And those thankfully thankfully those labels, those words can be changed just like the prayer of Jabez. Think about Jabez, his name meant pain. And what did he ask God? He said, free me that I won't experience pain. I feel like Jabez was saying, God, take this label off of me and increase me. I, I'm living so small. And so many people today, they live so far beneath their potential because a label got upon them and they never rise above the belief that they have of themselves. They never rise above that label to say, you know, I'm nobody special. I'm just This, I don't have much to offer. You know, others are better than me. Let them do it. We get in that comparison trap and we come up short when we start comparing ourselves to other people listening to those whispers. You bet.
1: And it really becomes, in a sense, almost paralyzing because let's face it: if, if you have become convinced that it, whatever it is, be it ministry or job or uh, dreams, visions for you know entrepreneurial goals, whatever it might be, if we've kind of come to believe that all of that is beyond our skill set, that it just is an absolute impossibility, that you know we're not smart enough, we're not uh, innovative enough, we're not clever enough, whatever it might be, we're just not enough mm-hmm. that we convince ourselves well why even bother trying i had a friend of mine years and years ago a very successful entrepreneur and and i and i queried him one day i said wow you know it's just you you started businesses and you've been innovative and you've you know provided incomes for people that work for your companies and it's just all completely amazing and as you know what's what's kind of the secret sauce his take on it was just the opposite you know he says i'm just ignorant enough and just stupid enough to not be aware of just how ignorant and stupid I am, that I never thought it would be impossible for me to do these things. (laughs) That that, that was his take. I'm I'm too dumb to know any better that this would not be possible. But for so many people, and particularly to the audience that you're focusing on, so many women in particular have heard both at at a societal level and, and even with our family of origin so much of this negativity that I guess it's no wonder that oftentimes women just don't bother because they've been convinced. Why try?
2: For sure. They just play small. They diminish their place in the world. They relinquish their influence. And I think it's because you said it so well, Craig, they're listening to that whisper of I'm not something enough. And we have a world that doesn't push us either, especially if a if woman is trying to venture into a place of leadership, a place of leadership perhaps in the church. You know, we allow kind of a false humility to come over us or we lose our voice. I, I'll share a story real quick, too. You know, in the Bible, there's that the story of those seven sons of Sceva, and they're going to go out and they're going to do some ministry, and they come upon a demoniac. And the one demoniac, he looks at them and he says, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who do you think you are? And in that with that one line, who do you think you are? He turned and he beat up all seven of those guys. Seven to one odds. And yet he beat up all seven of those guys, stripped them naked and off they ran. And I think Satan knows that he has a winning headline. Who do you think you are? And that voice echoes throughout, you know, the ages. And now in today's world, you're not enough. And who are you to be a voice? Who are you to be a leader? Who are you? Do you really think God has called you? You know, you, you don't have what it takes. And we just get run over by fear and insecurity and inadequacy. And forget that we're wonderfully and remarkably made, and that's how you started out. We we confuse what feels true with what is true. It might feel true that you're not enough, but that's not the truth. God says you can do all things because I've given you
1: my anointing to do it. And it really becomes almost a vicious circle, doesn't it? It kind of feeds upon itself, that notion that, well, you you don't feel very smart or very capable. And so it kind of, those feelings of inadequacy play into our mindset, which then plays into our actions or lack thereof. And it's Mm -hmm. almost as if they get into an endless loop.
2: Well and that programming is our is has to be undone. We have to demolish that pathway that even the brain and neuroscience immediately takes us down. Doubts arise, we go to the past least resistant, which says I can't do it and I've never been able to do it and I'm not confident enough. And so if we don't have an ironclad identity formed, created and on the foundation of who Christ calls us and how God created us we're going to fall prey to devil's schemes and we're going to give up and we're going to forget our purpose and shrink in obscurity and um, god forbid invisibility yeah because we don't we don't believe that we are adequate and that <laughs> we are well capable especially like i said if a woman is taking a place in a leadership role She's definitely going to feel that beat down, just like the devil wants on those guys. We feel strict at times of our abilities and our voice and our confidence and that assurance. And to that sister or that person, I would say, don't you dare shrink back, press in and stand because perseverance is being built and your your identity has to grow and expand
1: So a big part of this, certainly, Pastor Damon, is the notion of having to retrain our brain. But I think there's another aspect of this that I want you to dive a little bit deeper into when we come back after the break. And that is the idea that that there may be some eavesdropping right now that say, OK, Don, I I, I get what you're saying. And I've got to reorder my stinking thinking, as, as I've heard some folks refer to it as retrain my brain. But here's what you don't understand. My spirit feels so heavy, so wounded from having been put down and let down. And I feel as if, gee, if I try, and I've tried before, and if I try again, what happens if I fail again? Uh, isn't that just sort of becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy? Aren't I, aren't I then kind of playing into all of this um, false dichotomy that I've been surrounded by my entire life? We'll talk about that aspect. Best-selling author, Pastor Don Damon, with us today, founder of Braveheart Mentor Coaching, and by golly, got another book that she's working on. We'll talk a bit about that. And uh, fresh fresh off the baby baby assembly line, I was going to say, fresh from the Storks Delivery Service, uh, she's also a brand new great-grandmother, which is hard to believe considering the fact she's barely 30 take a time out back with more as lifeline continues
0: and now back to lifeline with craig roberts dawn
1: damon with us this afternoon and um, of course in addition to uh, her role as a multi-award winning author uh, she adds now to her um, her cv her claim to fame uh great Grandmother, a new title, and our congratulations again, Dawn. On that, let's talk more about this notion of having to not just retrain our brain or our thinking, but then so many women have become. Wounded, Their spirits have been wounded by the kind of negativity that perhaps they've been showered with their whole lives. So I, I get the notion how we can begin the process of, you know, whatever is wholesome and, and, and beneficial and positive and so forth, think on these things. So there's, there's actually a biblical prescription as to how we can go about retraining our brain. But what do we do when it comes to healing the wounded spirit?
2: Yeah, that's such a great question that you're asking because there does need to be healing. And that is a journey that women have to, or men, have to be willing to take. It's not always fun. You have to be willing to um, turn around and face those fears instead of, I remember my healing process, I always felt like there was this cement roller, steam roller right behind me that I just had to stay out in front of. And the day that I decided to turn around, look at it, face it down, was the beginning of my healing process and say, I don't want to be a victim anymore, and I don't want to think like a victim. And so you're right, the Bible gives us that that cure, if you will, that prescription to come out of victim mindset to think on those things but we can't always choose what thoughts come to us but we do get to choose what we're going to do with those thoughts so if somebody you know craig if somebody feels like hey you know the world is out to get me and i can't do it and it's because of them it's not my fault and pointing the fingers then you probably are struggling with that wounded spirit with that victim mindset through prayer through awareness and through deep work and looking and saying, hmm, what might have happened? We talked about it in the beginning. Labels, words, experiences. What might still be clinging to me that I need to be set free from? And there's no easy answer to that, but it is renewing the mind and it is coming out of victimhood into, you know, unleashing that genius within you, taking responsibility, being willing to manage your feelings and decision making and action so many things i could say but healing is available that's what the listener needs to to be aware of tonight you're driving home in your car and you're wondering and nobody gets you yeah i get you we get you Been there done that but god and his healing is available for us
1: I mentioned about the fact that um, along with some of your colleagues uh, you have contributed to a new book called Leading Ladies Discovering Your God-Grown Strategy for Success. Oh. Give me a sense in terms of what you're hoping that that women can extrapolate from this book and how it can be contributory to not only helping to reorder their thinking to begin that healing process of confronting some of these these lies and half-truths that they have been uh, literally the victim of sometimes for their entire life and how women can be encouraged to really take that first step. You know, if you've been, if you've been told for so often, for so long that you're a loser, that you'll never make it, uh, while finding just the courage to take that that first step can sometimes be a challenge.
2: Mm -hmm, It sure can be. And so that's what this book, thank you for bringing it up. This compilation book is just a group of daring women, women who, you know, we say in the spiritual world, um, walk with a limp. It means they've wrestled with God and they've kind of come out on the other side. They're stepping up to God's calling. They're redefining leadership. One of the primary authors of the book, Amber Wigland Buckley, she is a woman, her opening statement is, I'm a bipolar Christian woman leader. And so we think sometimes that to be a leader, you have to have all your ducks in a row be these perfect women, you know, be buttoned down and put together. But this is a group of women who have been through some things, world-changing women, that are sharing heartfelt stories, hopefully causing other women to step up, be brave, use your gifts, discover your passion, fan it into flame, and and learn to say, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my hat in the ring, I'm gonna step up, I'm gonna answer the call of God, I'm gonna explore leadership, I'm gonna step into my purpose and and be brave hearted.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And and toward that end there's a degree of risk here that, that certainly we're, we're asking women to take because even though we're, we're trying to change up the dialogue, they may still be struggling a bit with that, that issue of confusing what you feel is true with what, what is true. So for a woman that says, wow, okay, taking the first step, there is there is so much risk involved here, and I think some perhaps have become risk-adverse Because if they've tried to break out of the kind of that that false dichotomy in the past, they might have been met with more negativity. Maybe there was a a father or husband or some other authority figure that was there to kind of slap them back down again. Um, Mm -hmm. So sort of I guess what I'm asking is how do you go about uh, gathering enough, mustering enough courage to take that first step And is part of this almost sacrificial in terms of laying our own feelings of inadequacy at the altar?
2: Sure. Um, Great point. And I think that it is right. It's a it's a step of obedience. And we're not just we're not just being self-appointed leaders there's a call of God, Um, if I'm speaking to the women in this population, you know that there's a deposit inside of you of something that God has called you to. You have a message, you have a voice, then it does become a step of obedience. Sacrifice, The you know, what if, and you know what, make failure your friend. Have an adventure. We're so afraid of things, we're so risk adverse. I'm not saying that we haphazardly do things that are dangerous, but It's okay to be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable does not mean unfaith. It means that we're willing to say, here I am, God. And, you know, the scripture says, not by might, not by power, but by the spirit, says the Lord. And so take a a leap of faith and know that God is going to be that wind beneath your wings. You're going to soar. And I just love gritty women like I was so shy when I was younger and growing up, but there was something of the tenacity that God worked on the inside of me that when I finally stepped into that realm, the vision of what he had called me to was more powerful than my fear. And when our passion blazes hotter than the little tiny embers of fear, that's the time we step up and say, here I am, God, use me. And yeah, we we slay that giant. We have to. We have to go forward otherwise we do stay stuck.
1: And final question, Dawn, is it also important then for women as they begin to kind of um, reset, restructure the dialogue to understand that um, while certainly fear of failure is is always kind of looming large, that there's a degree to which it's okay to fail. That, in fact, uh, as as many uh, Mm -hmm. successful people will tell you, that the road to success is paved with repeated failures along the way, but you learn and grow from every one of those Mm -hmm. mistakes. Mistakes, and then as you pick up those sort of granules of, of knowledge and understanding and wisdom along the way, you're slowly but surely inching yourself closer and closer to success. But that failure shouldn't be something that we are completely paranoid of or fearful of, but rather that in the right context, failure can actually be a friend.
2: Absolutely, our friend. And and the more you fail, the more you get used to it. Failure is the most informational, rich education because you learn so much you grow yeah it hurts that's the downside you know it's embarrassing even it it wounds our ego but if like you just said if we will you know extract the gold from the ashes so to speak and learn from failure we really do rise up again and if the failure is part of success, you are so right. So we can't fear it. Got to make it our friend. I think John Maxwell says, learn to fail forward. Like, we don't fall back. We, we fail forward. We keep moving forward motion and persevere. Perseverance builds character and character hope, according to Romans 5. So get going women step up because you know what the body of Christ needs you we can't have 50% of the army of God sitting in the dugout because we're afraid to get on the field
1: exactly That's a right
2: metaphor
1: but no no I, I I love it and when I add one other uh, slightly uh, uh, modified metaphor <laughs> to, to close on and that is that uh, you know Thomas Edison as we all know credited with the phonograph movie camera movie projector and of course most notably the light bulb uh, he was asked at one point uh, along that pathway in the late 1800s until it came to fruition uh, how many tries you know that it took edison over a thousand attempts before he finally succeeded and at one time a reporter approached him and said mr edison tell me how did it feel to fail 1000 times on the road to inventing the light bulb to which his response was i didn't fail a thousand times the light bulb was an invention with 1000 steps." Wow. Talk about putting things in the proper perspective. This new book, by the way, will help put things in proper perspective for you. It's called Leading Ladies, Discovering Your god grown Strategy for Success, newly published by Bold Vision Books. You can get it through Amazon.com. Also get information through Don Damon's website at Don, D-A-W-N, Don Damon, D-A-M-O-N, Don Damon.com. Don, we appreciate, as always, your time, the precious insights. And again, congratulations on the new edition to the the family. Thank you. You bet. There's Don Damon, founder of Braveheart Mentor Coaching, the book, Leading Ladies, Discovering Your god grown Strategy for Success. All right, we'll take a time out, come back with more as this Wednesday edition of Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: I mentioned at the top of the program tonight that... uh, Boy, really, since the mid-1970s, post-Roe v. Wade decision, that the um, the Congress has repeatedly said, you know, we're going to draw certain restrictions in terms of federal funding and uh, where and how that goes to support de- abortion on demand, specifically in this case, Title 10 funds, which, again, uh, repeatedly down through the decades, Congress has reaffirmed that said funds will not be spent on abortions. And yet, ironically, and maybe as sort of a, um, I don't know, thumbing one's nose, proverbially speaking, at um, the Dobbs decision, frankly, just a year ago this month, uh, that the Department of Health and Human Services is kind of using an interesting bit of political ploy here. Um, It has been offering Title X funds to states And then if a state chooses not to use the funding related to so-called reproductive health, which is kind of code language, as many of you know, for abortion, that they're going to um, punish the state by uh, clawing back the money. Wow. Let's get more details on all of this. We're joined by Chris Fattis, president of Solidarity HealthShare. Chris, you know, as I mentioned, this is something that has been reaffirmed by Congress repeatedly down through the years. And yet all of a sudden now the Department of Health and Human Services uh, has decided that if a state is in this example, Oklahoma, decides or chooses not to spend the Title 10 grant on abortion services, that now they're going to be punished for it. What's What's up with that?
3: yeah i mean you know specifically that you know in this case we're talking about today is you know the state of oklahoma was awarded the title 10 grant four and a half million dollars this year to their the state department of health there and and that was then reneged after the hhs confirmed that the state of oklahoma will not use those funding that funding for abortion they will not spend it on abortion so they took the money back but never mind. You can't serve the poor and those in need uh, of these, you know, necessary healthcare services because you're not going to serve our agenda. You know, and interesting, you know, you, you pointed out rightfully. Since 1976, we've we've protected, uh, you know, and said that federal funding cannot go to abortion. But even further than that, the Weldon Amendment actually specifically, to, you know, for Title X says that it, that the government can cannot discriminate against grantees based on them not providing for abortion. So there's even further things, further law that says that the government can't do this, and yet the Biden administration is hell-bent on, on attacking the good state of Oklahoma and taking away these funds that they, of course, could have used to serve those You know, people. for the
1: amount of screaming and yelling that has been done down through all the years, um, I... I, I <laughs> This is a bit of a challenge. Uh, if, if those that are so hell-bent on making sure that abortion is free and on demand, instead of trying to force taxpayer dollars into it, as we do without abandon here, or with abandon here in California, then why don't they raise their own money and say, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to go uh, provide additional funds outside of tax dollars uh, because we believe so firmly in abortion and bypass the system in Oklahoma.
3: Right. I mean, and, and in fact, the interesting thing is that's essentially what they're telling, uh, you know, Christians and Catholics and all of us to do. If you don't want to do these things and go get your own money for it, uh, it when, when these federal dollars, of course, are for all of us to use uh, and they should be used in the way that the law says, you know, if you, if you think back, you know, even before Dobbs, right, we've had this conversation many times over the years about these Title 10 funds often in many states going majorly to uh, Planned Parenthood it's one of the many ways that Planned Parenthood became the behemoth that it was was using these funds and of course they say it goes to all the other services but we know that the number one dollars and spent in in Planned Parenthood was for abortion so you know this is an ongoing fight we're now on the other side of it where they're enforcing this um, and and it's it's really a shame I mean, these these are services that are needed and necessary these are federal dollars that are earmarked for these services and yet they're trying to say no nope, the only service you can provide is
1: abortion in your in your estimation? And I realize I'm asking to kind of climb into their head, which is difficult to do because they're largely empty. But, <laughs> but but that mild insult aside, speculate if you would for a moment. So the the court comes in and says, you know, this was not an appropriate decision. Um, Doe v. Bolton or Roe v. Wade in 1973. We're going to vacate that 73 decision, and we're going to put it back where it belongs. We're going to allow the states to decide. So, the state of Oklahoma has chosen no we we don't want to use federal funding to support abortions. We want to be in harmony with co- what Congress has said down through the years, and frankly with the the overwhelming majority of Oklahomans have said so what where where do they get off insisting that the state from the federal level push how this money? is going to be spent if at the end of the day it was the very Supreme Court decision that said it's not a federal question, it's a local it's a state question.
3: It's a state question, right. And in fact there is actually a state law in Oklahoma that prevents them from using these dollars for abortion. Uh, in fact their state law defines abortion that abortion is not part of the definition of health care. So so they're they're enforcing this on a state without federal jurisdiction to do so. And and the only thing I can think you know, getting in their heads is hard. <laughs> but but what I've Seen is it's a continued push. They get they, they continue to push this agenda. They continue to drive it through regulation, not statute. Uh, they continue to enforce these new rules on laws that, that the laws never gave them the authority to do. And of course, in many cases, luckily, the courts have held you know held up our rights and and have protected us against that. But they keep doing it. And the only thing I can think, honestly, Craig, is maybe if you bat a thousand times and you only get a hundred hits, they they feel like that. That's moving their agenda through. That hmm. you know, enough of these scenarios, they're going to win. Um, but the other side of it, I think, and, and I think this is very is is very true, is I think they know. But they're not going to win, but they know that their constituents, their voters, their, their, their political action committees, all the groups that they need to keep satisfied want them to do these things. You know, the governor of Arizona just did an executive order on abortion. That'll get struck down in three seconds in court based on state law here. But at the end of the day, they know that that's going to get them the dollars they need, the, the supporters they need. Uh, and so they just keep pushing this narrative, even though they have no legal right to do so.
1: Well, and it also is demonstrative of the notion that you you touched on this earlier. Um, in the states that have come on strong in favor of life, uh, this is a major threat to business. And let's face it, this is a big business. It always, always been big business. And, you know, you don't have to peel back the layers of the onion, so to speak, very, very deeply in the business of Planned Parenthood to get the notion that they make a lot of money doing this. They wish to continue making a lot of money doing this. And this is both in the private sector as well as organizations like Planned Parenthood. So there's a lot at stake here. And the notion of them somehow being cut off from access to federal funding must just get under their craw that they're going to try and push this issue no matter where they can or, or no matter how they need to and wherever they can, even if, like in the case of Oklahoma, there are specific state laws of the book preventing this.
3: Right, right. You know, it's it really is. It's just the latest in, in, the H, in HHS's shameless attempt to create barriers for families who they just want life affirming care, especially underserved families who rely on these government fund, these government sources of funding, right? And so this is just again they're they're just continuing to drive this. They continue to push it. We have to continue to speak out against it. We've got to continue to, to you know to fight back. I was very happy to see many lawmakers in Oklahoma and, and others have have pushed on HHS on this. I'm hopeful that they'll figure out a way to either force them through court or or otherwise well yeah change, that just
1: leads change. to my next question i'm curious from your perspective chris i mean what what's going to be the next step in this battle here i mean so you've had the hhs saying you must do this in the state of oklahoma rightfully so is pushing back and saying no we're not going to so now we're going to decide okay my my uh, my ball i'm going to take my ball home and you know leave you in your sandbox <laughs> right. what what is the yeah, what yeah. what is the potential legal recourse here for the state of oklahoma
3: yeah, I, I believe they have a case, and I, I think there will be there will be a suit. I'm sure uh, you know against the administration, or at least some some. Strong pressure to sue, um, and you know, luckily, state of Oklahoma is is doing well. They're, they they have good revenues. I think they'll be able to still support these families. Um, but again, they're going to ha- they're going to have to fight, and I think that's one of the issues that we're having here is where this administration seems completely hell bent on making us fight for our rights, whether they're individual rights or state rights, uh, which is a, which is you know completely against what we all believe is, as American citizens, well, <laughs> kind of the founding of this hey, country, right? And so,
1: Chris, remember like, you're talking. Talking we'll to a guy sitting data. in San Francisco, don't I know it? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah.
3: It, it just seems like everything continues to you know get more expensive, more legal fees, more battles. Thank God we have good organizations out there to help fight these battles, but uh, it's just continuing that that fight. And you know they they seem they will not go quietly into the night. So we have to keep our guard up. And I certainly hope the state of Oklahoma uh, will will fight this legally. And I, I'm certain they'll be successful.
1: Well, we appreciate the time and the uh, the update on this very important topic, Chris Fattis, president of Solidarity Health Share. Information available, by the way, on the web at Solidarity SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Our thanks to Chris Fattis for being with us on this segment of Lifeline.
2: And now
0: back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If
1: you have been a Californian for a yeah, over probably a decade now, uh, you might recall... Voting for Proposition 8, which at the time codified in the California Constitution the notion that, and I'm quoting here from the Constitution, only marriage between a man and a woman is valid or recognized in California, close quote. That was a ballot initiative, which is passed by California voters and uh, ultimately modified the California Constitution. Well, as we know, about six, seven years ago, the U.S. Supreme Court essentially vacated uh, that codification in the case of um, Obergefell versus Hodges, um, which found that under the U.S. Constitution, same-sex marriage was permissible. Ironically, though, in all that time, the language related to Proposition 8 has remained in the California Constitution. So in spite of voters approving this, now a proposal is coming together in the California State Assembly that would amend the Constitution to delete those words. Why they're bothering, I'm not sure. Let's find out why. Jonathan Keller joins us, president of the California Family Council. And and Jonathan, in wake of the Supreme Court decision, and with so many problems that our state has, I have to wonder why they even think this is necessary.
0: Well, that's right, Craig. Uh, First off, thanks as always for having me back. It's good to be with you. It's really tragic to see that they're doing this, but I think they recognize even though, as you said, Prop 8 has been enjoined for the last decade, they still realize, our, our friends on the left, they still realize that words actually still matter, and they believe that by repealing Proposition 8, by enshrining Same-sex marriage and removing the historical, biblical, traditional definition of marriage that, that was the only definition in all of human history, in all of society, between a man and a woman, by removing that, they actually do believe that it matters. They think that they are able then to tell people that this stain on our Constitution is erased. They're able to tell people that now we are equal and loving and inclusive, and we're trying to break down barriers that are discriminating against people. But, Craig, I I do actually think it's important that followers of Jesus take a stand. It'd be easy for us to just roll over and say, well, what's the big deal? Who cares? But I can tell you at California Family Council, as we're preparing for this battle next year at the ballot box, Uh, Look, I realize it's going to be a huge uphill battle. I'm not uh, optimistic that we're going to be able to defeat this necessarily, but I do think it's important for people of faith to clearly articulate the truth that— It goes all the way back, Craig, to Genesis.
1: And I'm curious, is that where this battle needs to take place? In other words, uh, the legislature itself does not have the power to modify the Constitution. It has to be done through ballot process. How does that work legally?
0: Well, that's exactly correct. So the little loophole here, Craig, is that... The legislature does not have to go and collect signatures. If you or I want to amend the Constitution, and in fact, when Proposition A was first passed, we had to go and collect millions of signatures. California Family Council was the leading proponent on that. And we had to collect millions and millions of signatures. Hardworking volunteers worked for months to make that happen. The legislature doesn't have to do that. They can just bypass this by a simple two-thirds majority vote. And this will go directly onto the 2024 general election ballot. So every voter in the state of California will have a say on this in November of 2024, just when they're voting for either Joe Biden or whoever the Republican nominee is. Uh, this repeal of Proposition 8 is going to be on the ballot. We, we don't know the number yet. It might be Prop 4 or it might be Prop 17. But this will go to every single voter in the state of California. And I think it's important for followers of Jesus to to be able to share with their friends and neighbors why they're going to vote no and why they think that marriage still is between one man and one.
1: And fascinating that so much effort has to go into getting a ballot. Proposition forward for consideration by voters, and yet the legislature, and we know how heavily it's all weighted in one direction, can easily put anything before a public vote with barely any effort at all. I mean, and, and, and of course the other irony is that the whole ballot, um, the whole proposition methodology in California is because the legislature quite frequently doesn't do its job, and so the people have had to step up and essentially act as a as a backup, so to speak. So that that's fascinating and disappointing that that is the case. I, I'm curious uh, I know that it's, it's it's difficult to predict at this point, but if something like this, let's just you know b- bear me out on this, Jonathan, if this ballot measure were to be defeated, then what? I mean again, in, 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 in light of what's already in the California Constitution and we've chosen to ignore all of that, uh, what's their next step are going to be or, or, or what's their plan B if, if this thing gets defeated?
0: Well, if it gets defeated, uh, the only the only thing that I think they would be concerned about is, as you mentioned, the the Supreme Court has held this, you know, not in effect for the last 10 years. But there is a small chance that given the current makeup of the court, the fact that President Trump appointed three justices and he did replace um, uh, two of the five justices who voted uh, in support of overturning Prop 8, so there is a small chance, I'd say it's slim, but there's a small chance that Proposition 8 could once again become the law of the land in California if the Supreme Court of the United States overturns it. So, I'm um, not holding my breath, but it is a possibility. So, so almost the it notion it here that happen. they're
1: trying to be kind of preemptive, which, which seems to be what, what perhaps they're they're trying to do if you kind of follow the um, the logic, which the term logic and legislature <laughs> don't typically belong in the same sentence. More information uh, regarding this, and again, And we we don't have any real specific details yet other than it's going to be something that will be before California voters come the general election in November of 24. Details on the web at CaliforniaFamily.org. That's CaliforniaFamily.org. Our thanks to Jonathan Keller, president of the California Family Council, for that update.